I want to ask you this morning, uh, have you ever had a, a revelatory moment, a moment where you became aware of something, you knew something, but you came to know it or understand it in a completely new and different way? Um, it, could, it could look like a lot of different things. It could be a person, it could be a place, it could be a thing, it could be an experience, but suddenly you had this, this moment where you felt like it was all brand new all over again. Uh, we're going to look at one of those this morning. I, I had one in my, in my personal experience that takes me back to my, my high school years, or actually junior high, and um, I grew up in the 80s, and so my, uh, I had an older sister. She was two years older than me, and she got up at like five every morning just to put hairspray on for like two hours, right? Because it was like, it was the big hair 80s, and, and the cool thing is she would get up early, she'd get a shower, she'd go in, and I would just hear the, the sound of the hairspray, but along with that, she had a record player, and on that record player, she would play like the best music. So she'd play The Cure, and she would play um, U2, and she would play AHA, and she would play Big Country, and it was like, so that was like uh, my memory of that whole period is like waking up kind of out of sleep hearing this great music. And, um, and so I became a fan of U2. Um, I loved the Joshua Tree, and I was, I was really into the album, and I, and I thought that I knew them pretty well. And then something pretty amazing happened. They released this new album. It was called Octung Baby, and um, they were going on this world tour called the Zoo TV Tour, and they were doing all these things that nobody had ever done in a, in a concert tour before. And of all the places in the universe they could have picked, they decided to test run it in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And so they brought their whole crazy tour to Hershey Stadium, this junky stadium where I'd seen a bunch of soccer games and things like that. And, and they set it up and their plan was just to test it for the week. And, uh, and so, but people would go up and they would just sit in the parking lot and just listen to them play um, just to catch a little glimpse of it. And they decided by the end of the week, even though they hadn't originally planned, they decided they were going to have a concert. And actually, since people there were so drawn to it, they decided to actually issue tickets and have a concert. And so we got a hold of some tickets. It was my first concert experience ever. And uh, so I go, we have these horrible obstructed view tickets. We're in like the very, very back of the stadium. And then I see this girl down kind of at the front of our section and people are walking up to her and she's doing stuff. So I'm like, I'm gonna go see what she's doing. So I walk down and she said, hey, yeah, I'm with the band and um, we'll exchange you your tickets for way better tickets that are up close to the front. And I was like, for real? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, okay. So, so we traded and we're walking down and the ushers are like, no, 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 it's you're further down, you're further down. And so we go down, we're all the way like right by the stage, they had the stage, and then they had this little walkway thing came out. We were like as close as me to this music stand from that walk. So just this incredible experience, and then U2 comes out, and it's just, um, it was an experience with U2, but with concerts in general, just live music, and feeling the bass like rattle your rib cage, and just this transcendent experience, and um, I mean, a big part of the reason why I'm part of the worship team today is probably that very experience. It just transformed my ex understanding of U2, the group, but of music as a whole, and it was like, it impacted me greatly. I, I'm sure you've had similar experiences. Maybe it was different. Maybe it was a concert. Maybe it was going to a place, uh, traveling in Europe, going to see the Grand Canyon. Uh, maybe it was an island uh, that you went to. Maybe it was meeting a person, a celebrity, or somebody that you looked up to, and when you met them in person, they were bigger and nicer and friendlier and better than you could have ever hoped. Uh, maybe it was uh, some sort of food dish that you'd researched and studied or whatever, and then you actually got to go there and experience it, right? We've had these transcendent experiences where you think you know it, but then you know it at a whole different level. And that's what the disciples are going to experience with Jesus in this passage. They think they know Jesus, but then they come to know him in a whole different way. And, and my hope for us is that that we can experience that just a little bit today because we can become so immersed in Jesus' culture cultural Jesus, 
We're listening, you know, if it, it, you know, if you listen to K-Love on the radio and you, and you have a bunch of friends on Facebook, but they're all Christians, and so they're always posting scripture. Like, after a while, you can become so inundated with, with stuff that you kind of lose sight of who Jesus is. And none of those things are bad, but, but my hope is this morning that maybe we can get a fresh experience, a fresh encounter with who Jesus is. And my hope is that every day for the rest of my life, I can keep getting a fresh experience. You never graduate past Jesus. You can just go deeper into him. And so we're going to see that in the passage uh, today. It's in Matthew chapter 17. We're going to begin uh, in verse 1, and we're going to go down through verse 13. And here's what it says. It says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. And then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. Pray with me for a moment. Father, we want to, as the disciples, as the disciples experience, we want to have a, a transfiguring experience with you this morning that leaves us in a place where we see only Jesus. Help us to experience that this morning, Lord. Do what only you can do. We make our hearts available. We make ourselves ready. We want to draw near to you. God, you do uh, what only you can do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if I were to summarize the central truth of this passage, here's what I would say. Jesus is God's beloved, perfect, and pleasing son who willingly gives his life for us so that we can live with him forever. Let me say that one more time. Jesus is God's beloved, perfect, and pleasing son who willingly gives his life for us so that we can live with him forever. That's one of the reasons I love this passage is because it, it really, I mean, it encapsulates what the gospel is. We see it on display. We see it vividly portrayed in this passage in, in a powerful way. And so I want to break down each part of that statement so that we can look at it more, more, more clearly. And, and listen, I, um, man, there's some sermons that lend themselves to just like really great stories and uh, entertaining things where I laugh at myself. So this, uh, this is not one of those. And sometimes I wish it was, but, but this is just one of those where we just are going to dive in deep and just see just multiple pictures of who Jesus is. We're going to really unpack his identity. And um, while I'd love to entertain you, I'd, I'd much rather show you Jesus. Like, that's the most powerful thing that I can do uh, this morning. And so with that disclaimer, let's look at, I want to point out five things that we see about who Jesus is here. First, he is holy and supernatural. He is other. He is, he is uh, he's transcendent. He's, he's from a completely different dimension, right? 
Um, I, I called the sermon, Jesus is a Transformer. You guys remember the, uh, the, the cartoon, and I'm not talking about the overblown Hollywood movies that I, um, that I don't enjoy watching, but I'm talking about my memories. Uh, it's all about my nostalgic memories here, but I remember getting up back when cartoons were only on Saturday mornings, and you had to wake up at like 6 a.m. if you wanted to see the good ones, right? And they used to have Transformers. You guys remember this? Anybody remember the song from Transformers? Yes, that's good. That's good. Autobots face the challenge to destroy the evil forces of the Decepticons. Um, but their tagline was Transformers more than meets the eyes. And that's what we see with Jesus. He's so much more. He's everything that they've seen him to be, but he's so much more than meets the eyes. We're told that, that his face is glowing and his clothes are, are glowing whiter than anyone could wash them, that, that he is light. It says that his, his face shone like the sun. And, uh, and it's interesting because in Scripture, Moses, who shows up here with him, also had an encounter with God on a mountain. Moses went up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, and, and he spent time with God, and he spoke with God, and he communed with God. And when he came down from the mountain, it said that his face shone from being in the presence of God. But there's a, a categorical difference between what happened with Moses and what happened with Jesus. Moses was shining in the way that the moon reflects the sun, right? When we look up in the sky and we see the moon glowing, we know that the moon doesn't produce light. It just reflects the light of the sun. And, and that's what Moses did. He was reflecting the glory of God. But Jesus is a source of light. He is like the sun itself. He is, he is emanating this light. And, and it's like when he was walking around on earth, it was like he was veiled. He, he, he was covered. But for a moment, he was unveiled so they could see his true nature, who he truly is. Peter is, uh, is amazed. And in the other passages in Luke and Mark, it, it critiques him a little bit more and says that he didn't know what he was saying and he was kind of confused and he was just kind of like speaking as Peter was prone to do. And he said, hey, how about if I build us a couple tents, one for Elijah and one for Moses and one for Jesus? That'd be cool, right? And, and before he even finishes speaking, God says, this is my son. I wish I had Keith here to do the voice, right? This is my son. But this is my son. Oh, I'm well pleased. Listen to him. This isn't about Elijah and Moses and Jesus. We're not going to build the Mount Rushmore of the faith up here. There is Jesus and there is anyone else, right? Elijah and Moses weren't worthy, though they were great men of God and great uh, patriarchs and great fathers of the faith. They weren't worthy to be mentioned in the same sentence as Jesus, that he is greater, he is above, he is higher says after they have this whole experience and they end up on their faces in fear and terror, just in amazement, that suddenly Jesus comes and touches them and he says, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. We would do good to rise and see no one but Jesus only. That was the, the outcome of this experience. They looked and they said, it is about Jesus. <laughs> He is all that I see. I mean, literally, that was all they saw, but figuratively, that, they understood his preeminence over all things in that moment. You guys know the old song, right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I, uh, you know, as I was preparing this sermon this week, uh, you know, I get to live it out. Before you guys get to hear it, I get to live it for a little bit, right? And, uh, and so this week, you know, I, at a point where I was just kind of like struggling with some different things and things, and, and that was really my prayer. I was like, Lord, 
I'm worried about this, I'm worried about that, I'm frustrated with it. Just help me to see you. I'm not even gonna ask you to solve that right now. I'm not gonna suggest solutions. I'm not gonna tell you how you might. I just, Lord, just help me to see you right now. Because if when I see you, everything else kind of fades into the background. And in that moment, I experienced like a real sense of, of, of peace. And then like the disciples, I came down from the mountain right? and I got back into it. But there's this practice of continually seeing Jesus. And that should be our prayer almost above anything else. Instead of, Lord, take this away. Lord, do, Lord just help me see you. Help me see you. When we experience who he really is, we don't want to be anywhere else. And that's what Peter experienced. He said, hey, let's just stay here. This place is good. <laughs> it's been hard work. I've been walking with you, Jesus, for three years, and, and I've experienced a lot of difficulty, and people have rejected us, and we've had trouble. But this is a good moment. Let's stay in this moment. You guys have had those kind of mountaintop experiences, maybe on a, a, a teen camp, a mission trip, maybe when you heard a great sermon or you read a good book, or you had this kind of mountaintop, like, wow, I'm just worshiping. I just want to stay in this moment. But the reality that we experience is that we don't, in this life, we don't get to do that. It's just a glimpse of what we'll experience in perfection when we get to heaven. But for now, we need to be grateful for the moment and allow it to fuel us and to refocus us for the, for the mission that Jesus will call us to ahead. So I want to ask you, do you see Jesus this way? Is this how you think of Jesus? When you think about Jesus, you might get it right the way Peter did, right? Just a couple weeks ago, we looked at Peter said, hey, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, yes, you got it right. But after this experience, that title took on whole new meaning to Peter. <laughs> he understood a lot more what it meant for him to be the son of the living God. Do you experience that? When you think about Jesus, does it like, are you, are, is your mind blown? And if not, if you're like, man, you know, yeah, Jesus, we love you. <laughs> if we're just singing the songs, if we're just reading, you know, then Jesus did this, right? I would argue that you probably have gotten a little bit too distantly removed from him. Because the closer that you get to him, the closer that you are to seeing his face, the more real and transcendent and powerful he will be in your experience. Where are you at with that today? Second thing I see here is that he is the fulfillment of the prophets and the law. Many commentators will point out that Moses was really a representative of the law, right? Uh, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy are attributed to Moses. And then Elijah was a representative of, of all of the prophets. He was one of the great prophets and he did incredible miracles. The other interesting thing is that these are the two people in Scripture that, um, that had really close encounters with God. Moses on, on the mountain, he said, God, I, I want to see you. And he said, hey, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of this rock and you got to hide your eyes and I'm going to go by. And then at the last minute, it, you can turn and you can just look at the back of me as I go. That's as close as you can get because if you look right at me, you're going to die. And Elijah had a similar experience. He was in a cave and, and, and the power of God came in and it was wind and it was fire and it was earthquake. And then there was a still small voice and he, and he came close. And so these are the two humans who probably came as close to experiencing the presence of God as, as anyone else who had ever lived. And here they are representing the law and the prophets in complete agreement with Jesus who represents the gospel, the New Testament. And, and, and I would ask you this morning, do you break them up differently in your mind? Do you think of the God of the Old Testament being angry and, and, uh, and vindictive and bitter and vengeful and hard to please? And do you think of the New Testament, God being all about grace and love and mercy and, and uh, not holding anyone accountable? If, if you divide it out that way in your mind, you're not mirroring what the Bible says, what the Bible shows. What the Bible shows is that Jesus perfectly fulfills the law 
And he perfectly fulfills all the prophetic uh, words that were uttered about the Messiah, that he did it all. And he, and he shows them that. He said, they, they're coming down and they ask him a good question. They said, well, hey, we just saw Elijah talking to you. Didn't the prophet say that Elijah would come before the Messiah came? And we believe you're the Messiah, but where's Elijah? And he explains, hey, Elijah did come, but the people rejected him. And then they're like, oh, okay, John the Baptist. Now, now we get it. And they were probably like, yeah, now we get it. Kind of like, we're like, yeah, yeah, I get it. Do I understand how Elijah was John the Baptist? No, not really, right? I get it. At some level, I understand it. Not fully, not in completeness. But I understand it enough to believe it. I understand it enough to, to believe that, that what Jesus said was fulfilled was fulfilled and that he fulfilled everything perfectly. Is that how you read the Bible? When you read in any part of the Bible, do you believe that it's, it's leading a path to Jesus? Is it, is it one cohesive story that shows from Genesis to Revelation uh, of man's fall and God's redemptive plan to bring us back into relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ? And if you see that everywhere in scripture, then you're reading it the way Jesus demonstrates it to us. Third, we see that Jesus is God's beloved son. And when he says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, he's, he's, kind of, he's, he's saying something that's true. <laughs> Jesus is my son and I am pleased in him. But it's also a, a, a messianic thing. It combines Psalm 2 and Isaiah 42. And essentially he's saying, this is the Christ. This is the son that you've been waiting for. This is the one. and I am well pleased in him. It's significant that, 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 um, that God loved Jesus because it lets us know that he didn't send Jesus to earth as punishment. It wasn't like he, he messed up in heaven and he's like, all right, you got to go down there and redeem yourself. <laughs> you got to get back in my good graces. It wasn't like he was exiled from heaven and trying to work his way back in. Jesus was sent out of love. God said, I love my son. I love him. And I'm going to send him to the cross. And that really challenges our notions <laughs> that most of us have of, of the relationship between suffering and God's love for us, right? We know what the Bible says, but when we think about it, on a, if we were to graph it out, right, it'd be like, okay, um, the less God loves me, the more I'm going to suffer. The more God loves me, the less I'm going to suffer. That's how we would think it would be. That's how we would want it to be. <laughs> and yet the one that God loved the most of anyone suffered the most of anyone. And we're called to walk in a path like his. So Alex shared that last week in his sermon. He said, hey, G following Jesus is costly. But we're told that we come to know him in our sufferings and none of us willingly and joyfully enter into sufferings, but we can endure through them and we can take joy from the fact that trials and struggles exist in our life to make us more like Jesus. And so we can either complain our way through them and wonder, did God stop loving me? <laughs> or we can say, I know God loves me. And I know there's a purpose in this struggle and I can't see what it is right now, but I believe it. And I'm gonna keep walking forward because I know this is making me more like Jesus and there's a way for me to come in this incredible mystery, I can come to know Jesus better by going through this. By not shirking it, by not avoiding it, by not running around it, but by going right into it. Jesus is God's beloved son. And he was perfectly pleasing to God. Number four, Jesus lived a life that was wholly pleasing to God. Does anybody in here want to please God? <laughs> Jesus is our example, right? Live a life like Jesus. And I know people like, you know, it's like the whole WWJD thing, right? What would Jesus do? Well, I'm not the son of God, so I can't do what Jesus did. I understand that. Nobody here is going to walk on water, right? There's there certain things that were uniquely set aside for Jesus. None of us is going to take our friends up on the mountain and transfigure before them. We're not going to do that. But 
Look at the life that Jesus lived and not just what he did, but how he did it, the way in which he lived. And that's why we, uh, we enjoy and we've been, we've been digging so deeply into these books uh, that Paul Miller has wrote, The, the Loving Life, the Praying Life, uh, Love Walked Among Us, that, that they help us to look at not just what Jesus did, but what's the personhood of Jesus? What was his personality? What was the way in which he did things? Look at how patient Jesus is. <laughs> look at how selfless Jesus is. Look at how Jesus was always drawn not to the people of power and prestige, but to the lowly people, uh, the broken people. Look how Jesus wasn't afraid to sit down with people who were uh, very different from him. Look at how Jesus spoke the truth in love. And this is something that I really want us to center on as a church. That I think this is the picture in this season that God is calling us to this more clear than anything else. How can we be a church that is full of grace and truth? How can we be a church where anybody, and I mean anybody, in the community can walk in and feel genuine love and feel like they belong here and feel like they're, they're welcomed and then also be brought to the foot of Jesus and say, hey, we're so glad you're here. We're, we want you here. We're glad you're here. And we want to tell you about Jesus and what he said. And we love you too much to water down what he said. We're not going to change his truth so that you'll keep coming. We want you to come and we want you, uh, as so many people did in scripture, to submit to Jesus. When Jesus found the woman who was caught in adultery, um, uh, and the crowd was going to stone her, he said, hey, let the person without sin dr- cast the first stone, right? And what happened? One by one, they all dropped their stones. And so Jesus said, hey, they don't condemn you. I don't condemn you either. Get up, go, and what? Sin no more. He didn't say, hey, they didn't condemn you. I don't condemn you. Keep doing what you're doing. I guess you're good. <laughs> he said, hey, I love you. And I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to save you. But go and sin no more. Your sin is separating you from me. It's preventing you from experiencing my love and my joy and, my, and, and the purpose that I have for you. Can we be that kind of church that lives the way that Jesus is, that, that, that is pleasing to God, full of grace and truth? And, and fifth, Jesus is worthy of our worship and our fear, but because of Jesus, we have nothing to fear. <laughs> if there was a being in the universe that we should fear, it is Jesus. He is powerful. He is mighty beyond our understanding. He is from another world, right? But also we see in this passage that he's, he, he goes to his disciples and he says, hey, don't be afraid. Stand. Come with me. It's this great, incredible uh, paradigm that it doesn't uh, make sense to us, but, but it's incredible. And, and I love in this passage how it's kind of like when a storm rolls in. Don't you guys love those summer storms when they come rolling in? It's kind of this sense of anticipation and, and everything gets still and you can kind of feel it in the air. And, and what happens? All of a sudden, lightning strikes close to you and you can't look away. You're like, wow, that's amazing in your eyes. But then a second later, the thunder comes and you want to cower down, right? There's something about the sound, just the, 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 the audible shaking it causes us to cower. And that's exactly what we see the disciples do in this case, right? They, they see Jesus glowing. They see the light, the lightning. They're like, wow, this is amazing. But then they hear the booming voice of God and they fall to their faces in fear and in worship. It was like the elements of creation were laid bare before them, right? We have God's speaking voice and we have light in his son. And, and, and in that moment, exposed to the, the raw elements of creation, they recognized how small they were. 
And when you have that perspective, when you live with this kind of perspective, it, it gets rid of these silly things where you're like, oh, God, you better, you better show up this time. You better prove yourself to me. You better come through. You better give me what I want. In those moments, do you think the disciples were tempted to be like, hey, God, you better, <laughs> Jesus keeps talking about going to the cross. You better not do that to him, right? No, there's just this incredible sense of like, wow, you know what's best. I'm just amazed that I'm even able to be in your presence. And when we live with that sort of reverential awe, it puts us in a right perspective. But the cool thing is that Jesus is there right beside us. He doesn't say, go away, I'm great. I'm the great and powerful Oz, right? He says, come behind the curtain. See who I am. Walk with me, live with me. Jesus is God's... Uh, beloved, perfect, and pleasing son who willingly gives his life for us. That's the other thing that we see that's amazing in this passage. It, it's clear when he's walking down the mountain with the disciples that, that he wants them to understand, hey, I'm gonna go be crucified. I'm gonna go suffer. And it's not because somebody's doing this to me. I'm willingly choosing to do this because it's, it's the perfect plan for your rescue and your redemption. Uh, usually around Easter time, the History Channel and National Geographic, they'll have these, these uh, shows about this search for the historical Jesus to understand who he was. And, and most of the time, they kind of arrive at this conclusion that he was just this simple peasant who was wise beyond his years and a good teacher and, and stumbled into Jerusalem at the wrong time, at the wrong festival, and tragically was swept up and, and crucified. And, and it's a shame because he was a good guy and he didn't deserve to be treated that way. But that's not the biblical picture of Jesus at all. Jesus wasn't a, his death wasn't the tragic, uh, uh, miss, wrong, wrong place at the wrong time, miscommunication. It was the, the divine plan of the Almighty. Beyond our understanding, but, but Jesus has them come. Peter and James and John, he says, hey, I want you to come up on the mountain with me because I want you to understand I'm going to die and I want you to know it wasn't because I didn't have power and it wasn't because I wasn't in control. I had total power to do whatever I wanted. I had total control but I chose to obey this because it was my father's plan for our salvation. Now, we can appreciate that. I don't know that we can fully understand it. We might wish, God, I wish there was a way that you could do it without sacrificing Jesus. But we can look humbly and say, God, your, your will be done. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, uh, the central Christian belief is that Christ's death has somehow put us right with God and given us a fresh start. We believe that, Right? Theories as to how it did this are another matter. A good many different theories have been held as to how it works, but what all Christians are agreed on is that it does work. <laughs> Do I understand every facet of God's plan for salvation? No, but I believe that it's true. He says I'm forgiven, I believe I'm forgiven. He says I'm redeemed, I believe I'm redeemed. He says that when he looks on me, he doesn't see my sin. He sees uh, the, the glorious, perfect life of Christ attributed to me. I believe him because he said it. Third, uh, Jesus God's beloved, perfect, and pleasing son who willingly gives his life for us so that we can live with him forever. And this is the part that, that really surprised me when I studied and, and, and read this because I, um, I didn't expect it to be so helpful and so comforting. But, but look at what we see here. Um, what we see is that there is a living, personal reality after death. That when we die... We don't, um, we don't cease to exist, that we don't just merge and become one with the universe, uh, float into the ether, right? That we have a personal, real existence after our death. 
And that's incredibly encouraging and comforting to those of us that have, that have had loved ones that have passed on. And our hope is that we get to see them again one day. And that we'll know them and that they will know us. And so it's amazing when we look at this passage and we see that Peter, James, and John, they had never seen Moses. They had never seen Elijah. They had read the stories. They knew. But when they saw them, they looked at them like, wow, that's Moses. And that's Elijah. Was it long, white-bearded Moses? Was it young Moses? We don't know. But when they looked at him, they knew it was Moses. And I take great encouragement from that, right? That when we go, that our lost loved ones and, and, and friends and family who have passed before us, that we have a hope that when we go, that they will see us and know us and we'll see them and know them. That there'll be this personal, real existence that we'll experience. And also... Uh, that there'll be this, this, this work for us to do. Listen to what it says in Luke 9, in, the, in, in verse 29, in the, uh, the experience of the transfiguration. Luke describes it this way. He says, as Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So it wasn't like they just showed up and was like, hey, Jesus, what's up, man? Just checking in. You doing good? <laughs> like, they came and it's like they had this little huddle, right? It's like the timeout in the NBA finals, right? And they're like, hey, what play are we going to run? What's this? Right? They come together and they're like, hey, here's what's going to happen. And, and, and they're kind of huddling in there. Which, that's amazing to me, right? I had a roommate in college and uh, I remember him. We're sitting around, you know, having one of these deep philosophical collegiate discussions that some of you guys that are home for summer know, right? And, and uh, he's like, man, he's like, I, I, I feel like I'm gonna get bored in heaven, like sitting on a cloud and just strumming a harp. Like that seems kind of boring to me. And I was like, it's like, dude, that is not a biblical picture of heaven, first of all. But that is the picture you see in the storybooks and like all these things, right? And um, that's not what our heavenly existence is gonna look like. Um, you know, I, I really believe that this, that this is a picture that there was, there was work for them to do. There was, a, there was a meaningful task that God sent them with a purpose to come and confer with Jesus, to, to speak with him. What it was, what they said, we don't know, but there was something important going on there. And I think it gives us a hope that, that when we die and we go to heaven and we, and we go to be with Jesus, that, that we're not just going to be bored, we're not going to be hanging around, that he's going to have meaningful, purposeful things for us to do. And, and whatever purpose and meaning you get out of your work or your family or whatever here in life, in heaven it's going to be amplified. That before the fall, before sin, that Adam did work in the garden, that God gave him good work to do. And I believe that that will continue to be part of what, what we do, but without all the toil and the struggle and all the good things and none of the bad things, right? That's encouraging. That's exciting to me. The Bible doesn't talk a lot about heaven, and so the glimpses that we get of it are amazing, and, and, and they encourage us. They encourage me. So Jesus was God's beloved, perfect, and pleasing son who willingly gave his life so that we could live with him forever. What do we do with this today? Well, I think it'd be wise to look at the words of, of God the Father as he spoke here, right? He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So the first thing for us is to listen to him. It comes from this Greek word, uh, akueti, which, uh, from which the root we get acoustics. It means to hear, listen, or most importantly in this case, to comprehend by hearing. Listen to Jesus for understanding. And it was cool because we see the disciples did this as they were coming down in verse 13. We're told that then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. They took God's word to heart. They said, we're going to listen to what he says and, and we're going to seek to understand. Do you do that? Are you listening to Jesus for understanding in your life? 
When you read the Bible, when you, when you listen to a sermon, when you, uh, when you spend time in prayer, when you're seeking his face, are you listening for understanding? Sometimes we do a lot of one-way communication. <laughs> Our relationship with Jesus is, hey, Jesus, here's all the stuff that I would like. Here's what I want. Here's what I'm not too happy about. Could you fix it, <laughs> right? How much time do we spend listening? And not just listening, but listening for understanding, when you read the word and you, when you read through the gospels and you see the words of Jesus on the page, are you saying, I want to listen because he's saying something that I need to understand for my life here. Is that, is that how you listen? That's number one. Number two, Jesus went to the cross with a purpose. There was a reason why he was doing what he was doing. And I want to encourage you that if you're going through something, can you pray according to the reason that you're going through it? If you're going through a trial or a struggle that, it honestly is just reproof. It's like, hey, I sinned, I messed up, and I'm experiencing the weight of that right now. Can you in humility say, Lord, I repent. I, I understand now that was wrong, and I don't want to live that way anymore, and I'm asking you to give me the strength to live in a different way. Is it a trial in which you're just being called to mirror Jesus? Are you going through something, and is the purpose in it, like, is God saying, hey, I just want you to go through this the way Jesus would go through it? with grace, with purpose, with humility, without losing your, your, your character, without compromising? Are you just being called to be a mirror of Jesus at this moment in your life? Third, is it, is it possible that he's allowing you to go through a trial or a struggle or a difficulty for someone else? Jesus went to the cross. He was the only one who didn't have to go to the cross, but he went through that trial for all of us. Is God possibly allowing you to, to go through a trial because he wants to use it to bless somebody else? And should your prayer this week be, God, I don't know why you're letting me go through this, but I pray that you would show me. Maybe you want to use it in somebody else's life, and I pray that you would show me what that looks like. And I've seen that happen time and time again. Finally, and I'll close with this, and most importantly, can you arrive at the place that the disciples did? They went on the mountaintop. They saw the, the shining Jesus. They heard the voice of God but they left it with this. It says that they arose and they saw only Jesus. Would you pray, Jesus, I just want to see you this week. I pray that I would turn my eyes upon you and that the things of this world would go strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace, that you would be so bright and so amazing that everything else would just fade in comparison. Will you join me in praying that way this week?